Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Trent Alexander-Arnold called it one of the best performances since Klopp's arrival. Klopp himself thought it was harder than the comeback against Barcelona. A goal down, a man down and deep into injury time, Liverpool's late, late show at St. James's Park felt significant. So was this the moment Darwin Nunes has been waiting for? And with a few days left in the transfer window, is there time still for Liverpool to quit the chaos? I'm Ayoa Kemolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Unbelievable, to be honest. It was something very special out there today. Nunez to win it! The Leiberbad source! Right, in for this one, James Pearce, the Athletic Football's Liverpool writer and also Nick Miller, writer of the Athletics weekly Monday column, The Briefing. James, Liverpool man himself. Let's get into this one. You know what Klopp thought of that match. And I know you've watched that match twice (laughs) because you loved the win. It was a beautiful moment for Liverpool. You know, as someone who's watched this team for, for many years, where did that turnaround rank in your eyes? It has to be right up there. I think I wouldn't I wouldn't have it above the Barcelona one, because I, I don't think, you know, just the sheer magnitude of the occasion against Barcelona, the calibre of the opponent, you know, the the ridiculous way in which the odds were stacked against them after, you know, three losing the first leg 3-0. So I think I think it was probably a little bit of hyperbole attached to, to Jurgen Klopp. I think the, the emotion was still pumping for him when he, he said that for him it was even surpassing that. But I think why it was so big is this is a new group of players have been so much change at Liverpool over the summer. And there's a lot of talk about the big leaders, the big personalities and characters that they've lost. And Klopp's talked about having to create something new. And that that is a big deal for for like a new a new dynamic in that dressing room to come together like that. And you know it was I think that was why it meant so much to Klopp because it was like a proper backs to the wall job. You know, everything going against them looked absolutely doomed and to and to dig in like they did and and pull it out against the odds i think that's that's why it was so special mm, nick i'm just thinking if you're a, a newcastle fan here you know you've you got to be a bit gutted i was actually at st james's park on friday i was doing some work for the premier league and the, the fans were buzzing like you know there, there was a real feeling that there's a turning of the corner obviously recent record against Liverpool I think before this match was like five games four four losses and, and and one draw or something like that you thought this was the one and someone I know even predicted Anthony Gordon scoring the first goal so it was all sort of going to plan really and then the final result in itself considering Liverpool had 10 men to finish that match you, you got to be gutted if you're a Newcastle fan yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the old cliche about um, it being more difficult to play against 
10 men than 11. It's, mm. It was kind of true on the, this occasion. I think uh, Jurgen Klopp said after the game that um, having 10 men kind of forced Liverpool to be a bit more compact, a bit more kind of disciplined, a bit more controlled because, you know, it was pretty chaotic for the first half an hour or so. Um, I know... It, I know there's been some talk about um, the substitutions that uh, Eddie Howe made. Um, I, I don't know. I, they they all felt reasonably logical at the time. Um, you know, if Alexander Isak had a relatively quiet game and if he's first choice, then Callum Wilson's very close second. Maybe you could say taking Tonali off because Liverpool had... The, the, the way Liverpool's goals came about, there was um, a little bit more space in midfield for them for the passes to be put through so i guess you could argue that you know that um but yeah i mean it's, you could you could even argue that Newcastle got a little bit complacent at times but i i think probably you need to give more credit to liverpool for pulling off mm. the comeback rather than blaming newcastle yeah and uh you know you hinted at the word chaos there and that there is a a genuine king of chaos in in, in darwin nunes let's, let's be fair you know huge fee and in a very strange turn of events, he you you don't see him as as of as the first choice striker at, at Liverpool at this moment. Is this a massive turning point for him, James? You know, scoring the winner and scoring two goals in such an amazing fixture away from home. I hope it is. Yeah, I think I think from his perspective, it's without a shadow of a doubt the moment that he had been waiting for since he arrived from from Benfica in the the summer of twenty twenty two because. There were little flashes, I think, of brilliance last season and a few notable contributions along the way. He got the winner home to West Ham, scored a couple in that 7-0 demolition of Manchester United, uh, scored in the win at St. James's last season, but nothing, nothing anything like on that scale to, to have that kind of impact. Um, and it's what he's been crying out for. I mean, when Roberto Firmino left the club this summer, you know, Nunes was desperate to take on that vacant number nine shirt. He wants to be the main man. He doesn't want to be a bit part player. And, and you know, that's that's where he slipped to, really, because, you know, it, the, the, the issues he's had at Liverpool have been well documented. You know, the red card on his home debut against Palace, you know, that rush of blood with the headbutt, you know, you know that, that set him back because he missed almost a month of football. You know, he's had lots of little injuries that have meant it's been really stop-start. He also joined the team last season where the structure of it had pretty much fallen to pieces. Liverpool were dreadful for the first two thirds of the season. That didn't help him. The pressure of the price tag, he doesn't speak the language, you know, and, and also, you know, Klopp has been asking him to do things that don't, don't come naturally to him because Klopp, you know, the reason he keeps on playing Gagpo as the as the number nine is because he wants his central attacker to drop off into space, disrupt opposition build-ups. And and we know, as Nunez showed on Sunday at St. James's, he's all about bursting in behind and using that pace and power. So I felt for him um, because it hasn't been easy. Um, and, you can, you know, he's, a, he's an emotional South American, mm. desperate to do well. Um, and I know, I know he, you know, he has embraced what Liverpool have demanded from him. And, and yeah, you just hope, I, I hope that that does light the blue touch paper for him because there's no doubt there's a proper player in there. It's, it's just unlocking that potential on a regular basis. James, uh, do you how do you think Klopp is going to use Nunes kind of going forward? Because he's, I know he said yesterday he made the point that obviously not everyone's going to play every game. So do you think he's going to be a rotation option? Do you think he is just going to primarily use him as this kind of alternative, admittedly quite expensive plan B 
agent of chaos off the bench. Do you think even he might use him in games where he thinks that that, that more direct number nine is going to hurt opposition? Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think it will be like you know the horses of courses approach that Klopp was talking about in terms of there'll be certain opponents where it just makes perfect sense to play Nunes. I think especially against more limited opposition where you're maybe not you know you're not really when you're going to dominate possession maybe you don't have to worry quite so much about your number nine you know effectively becoming a fourth midfielder and 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 winning the ball back and disrupting the opposition like Cody Gagpo was so adept at doing um but I think I think the extent of Nunez's role this season is pretty much in his, his hands because it's like can he adapt and prove he can be the man for all occasions rather than just playing a certain way and, you know, and can Liverpool play to his strengths to get the best out of him? Because when, you know, the, the biggest thing for me on Sunday was seeing him show that kind of composure and technique in, in, in those areas. I mean, the first goal is barely even a half chance from there against the keeper and Nick Pope's quality. Yeah, it's an unbelievable finish. Um, and, and, you know, and even the second one to take it first time like he did from Salah's pass. And th- those were things we didn't see from him last season. So often last season he was... You know, he was he was so raw and erratic and he was, you know, take, you know, missing chances that you thought, how on earth has he has he failed to put that away? Yet the big thing on Sunday was, you know, two barely half chances that he's absolutely nailed. And it's like, you know, if he keeps doing that, then you know, there there'll be no argument. He like Klopp will have to accommodate him because um, you know, his contribution will just be impossible to ignore. Yeah, James, but it, I mean it's fair to say, I mean, I remember that. Champions League doubleheader, Liverpool played against Benfica. And I mean, we saw that composure. You know, I remember the, the goal that was disallowed and the, and the return fixture, that little sort of clip, clip of the foot. And I'm like, that is proper technique. And it's it's that kind of performance that got Jurgen Klopp thinking, I think I need this lad at my team. It's it's that age-old conversation, really, in in the you know, sometimes as, as fans of the game, we, we sort of have to allow <laughs> these players to adapt. Coming from Portugal to the Premier League is, is a very different proposition, but also in a system that's very different to what's akin to your strengths from where you've come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think certainly in the in the modern era, it's we, we all kind of expect instant results, don't we? And, it's, you know, there's such a, a rush to judge people. And I actually think when you look back on Nunes' first year in English football, it was... You know, it, it wasn't he wasn't either a massive success or a massive flop. He was somewhere in between. I think what 15 goals in 40 odd games. It was modest, respectable, you know, not he hadn't set the world alight, but ne- neither as he as he never looked like that, you know, like like he's the part. You know, there have been real promise in science. There's just a lot of rough edges that need ironing out. And you know, you mentioned, you know, like how devastating he was during that that second season at Benfica. Well, when you go back to his first season at Benfica, there were a lot of people questioning him then. He only, you know, his numbers were very similar first year at Benfica to first year at Liverpool. 14 goals in 2020-21 for Benfica and then absolutely went to the next level in that second year at Benfica, you know, scaring defenders across Europe. I think 30-odd, 34 goals in 41 games. And, and that's the hope that now he's got his feet under the table. He, he re- really can kick on. And I think, especially for someone who you can see you know, at, at times has really struggled for belief. And, it, you know, I know Klopp and Pep Linders behind the scenes have sat him down a number of times and told him not to be too hard on himself to, to you know, this is a long-term project. You know, we, we didn't buy you just for like one year or two years. Like this, 
you know, we, we believe in you. You just, you just have to be patient. And, um, you know, that, that's the exciting thing for me because Liverpool fans adore him. They, they, they're so desperate for him to do well. Because, you know, he, when, when you look at him, he's got, you know, in terms of his physicality and, you know, in his pace, he literally has got everything you'd want to see from a number nine. And I think also the fans love the fact that, you know, that you can see what it means to him to, to be at Liverpool. And he is just so desperate to make a success of it. He probably been guilty at times of being probably a bit too eager to impress. And, and that has, has actually probably gone against him at times. Yeah, Nick, I was just thinking about, you know, a opposing striker, someone like Isaac, who came for big money as well to Newcastle, right? And we've seen glimpses of absolute magic there. But you probably think the pressure playing up front for Newcastle versus the pressure playing up front for Liverpool, very, very different for someone like Isaac, who's come for massive money, because I guess it is Newcastle. You sort of let him sort of, you know, marinate in that team for a little bit. Whereas if you're going to Liverpool, People are expecting you to hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just on Isaac and Newcastle, it's, it kind of illustrates a, a broader point that um, the uh, the writer uh, Grace Robertson, who I thoroughly recommend signing up to her Substack, by the way, um, she noticed that Newcastle um, tend to do worse in games where they have the majority of the possession, and that kind of feeds into the idea of less being expected of them last season that the, the, the money is obviously going to create some expectations but I don't think any, anyone really expected them to be as good as they were so it would be really interesting to see how they play this season um, when people you know know a bit more about them there's more expectation on them and people adjust their game plans to uh, kind of counter Newcastle generally and Isaac more specifically um, it's, it's, it probably wasn't a, an example of that Yesterday, given that Liverpool kind of being reductive about it went from chaos to sort of survival mode for a lot of the game. But I think over the season, we will see that a lot more. And it would just will be very interesting to see how uh, Newcastle generally and Isaac more specifically cope with that. Hello there. Just to let you know that there's a brand new edition of the Totally Football Show out right now with all our thoughts on the big bits of round three of the Premier League season. All sorts of drama from Friday night's Chelsea Luton to the extraordinary events at St James's Park, all filtered through the unparalleled football minds of John McKenzie, Daniel Storey and Tim Spears. That's the Totally Football Show out now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. We've mentioned chaos quote a few times in this conversation so far and nothing more chaotic than Trent Alexander-Arnold who's always under incredible scrutiny James uh you know that that opening you know well first half really was just not wasn't the one was it no he had a he had a very very tough start to the game didn't he I, I felt I felt a little bit sorry for him in terms of the first yellow card that he, he was shown because I mean John Brooks has missed an absolutely blatant push in the back there from Anthony Gordon and I think 
I think if if John Brooks does his job properly and gives the free kick, Alexander Arnold doesn't throw the ball back. He doesn't get the first yellow and then put himself in such a predicament where, you know, I think even probably the most one-eyed of Liverpool fans would say he was lucky to stay on the pitch, having already been booked when you usually when you you cynically block someone off like he did to Gordon. It, you know, it was I think it was only the fact he'd been booked so soon, um, you know, but what was it, a minute or so before, and the fact it was still so early in the game that convinced the referee to to give him another another opportunity and then yeah you know he, he won't take any fondness certainly from watching the, the the replays back of Anthony Gordon's opener where you know I thought it was almost like he didn't really expect Mo Salah to ping it into him quite like that and but even so for someone of Trent's ability you know for the ball to slip under his boot like that you know there are no ex- excuses and and yeah you know Newcastle certainly targeted that area and it is it's been a it's been a kind of a, a regular theme really around Liverpool games because of course for you know for a lot of the time Trent is almost asked to play two positions um, and yeah there were there were times when he had Gordon and you know Joe Linton you know we had, it, you know, we had two against one on that flank and you know, it doesn't help as well when you know Joel Matip who I actually thought in general did did well over the, you know he got better as the game went on but he's not as adept at coming across and providing cover. In the same way as Ibrahima Kanate did, so um, so yeah, it was um, yeah, certainly a, a tough start for Trent. Certainly, you know, crazy to think when from where Trent Alexander Arnold was and where Liverpool were at, you know, to to think that you know that they actually managed to salvage it from there because you know at, at that point they they did look doomed. Yeah, we'll talk broadly more about um, where Liverpool go moving forward. Obviously, transfer window um, is closing imminently. But uh, look, we've just mentioned it there. It was another difficult day for Trent. And our tactics writer, Liam Tharm, had a closer look at why. Hi, Io. It was a difficult afternoon for Trent Alexander-Arnold at St. James's Park, but I think we really need to give Anthony Gordon uh, his dues here and his credit. He's come off the back of a really good summer with England under-21s, being player of the tournament, um, playing as a false nine really in a very, very attacking, very fluid um, system under Lee Carsley. And he scored goals then, of course, he was the, the first goal scorer today. But I was most impressed at the started the game with his out-of-possession work. Uh, Newcastle were pressing Liverpool man-for-man, man, particularly in midfield, so they were going tight with their marking, and Gordon was coming all the way inside to mark Trent Alexander-Arnold when he stepped into midfield. And he made some really smart pressures early on when Joel Matip would put out to the right side, into that space that Alexander-Arnold had vacated. Gordon would start in the middle, he'd start marking Trent, and then he'd sprint out wide uh, to Matip when he got the ball. And on the occasions that Trent did then pull out wide to, to get possession, Gordon was aggressive. We saw that earlier on where he pushed Trent off the ball and onto the floor into the Liverpool technical area and Trent then got booked for throwing the ball away. And then moments later, of course, Trent was lucky to stay on the pitch. Gordon with the touch and run and Alexander-Arnold put his arm across. There's a long way to go in this game and Trent Alexander-Arnold is already walking a fine line. Uh, and it was sort of the similar... Situation to what we saw from Gordon against Alexander-Arnold back in the uh, Merseyside derby in 2022 at Anfield where he got the better of Trent on a number of occasions, I think, going down um, the channel 1v1. Gordon's got such good speed, such good directness. He's a really, really good straight line runner and it's just one of the real fundamental flaws, I think, in Alexander-Arnold's game. People talk about his positioning a lot and difficulty sort of scanning and uh, being able to sort of deny those runs in behind when playing in a high line, but 
Trent really isn't one of the, the most fantastic movers, at least over short distances. I think that's why Gordon was consistently able to exploit him 1v1. Gary Neville kept saying on Sky Sports commentary how just needed to keep giving the ball to Gordon, letting him run at Trent 1v1. And I think it really showed towards the end of the game where Gordon came off the pitch and Harvey Barnes came on. Someone who is a really good winger, but much more a 1-2 player and a player to get in behind, not a dribbler at a defender. Uh, that Newcastle's problems really happened down that left-hand side of the pitch. Yes, thanks, Liam. And really interesting, actually, because we, we talked about it earlier, Nick, Anthony Gordon. I mean, what, what a fantastic game he had. And, um, you know, it's taken a while to bend into this squad coming from Everton, obviously. But you saw it in that match. First goal scored, but also a dynamism, which makes you understand why Newcastle have brought him into this squad. Yeah, I mean, uh, I uh, I don't think I was uh, really alone in wondering why they had signed him. Uh, it was in January, wasn't it? They signed him. Um, it did seem a little bit odd at the time, but a game like yesterday is kind of proof why they um, why they spent that that much money on him. Um, as you say, there's the dynamism, there's a sort of directness as well to him, which I think really suits how Newcastle play. He's kind of uh, I. I it pains me to say it because, like most other people, I absolutely love Alan Sam Maximan. Um, but, but there's the, the the difference between the two. While I know which one I'd rather watch, it's pretty obvious as to which one suits Eddie Howe more and is, you know, very sadly, probably more effective. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that this this game felt like a kind of culmination of uh, some improving performances towards the back in the last season. As as Liam mentioned, there a really good um, tournament with the twenty ones and the start of this season as well. Mm. James, I know that Liverpool are still unbeaten this season. It's only been three matches, but it, it's it's a pretty good start to to the Premier League. Um, you said on you know the Athletic Liverpool podcast walk on at the match um, that. Liverpool look doomed at half time. Is it still same old problems for Liverpool at this moment in time? There's certainly still issues there to be resolved, and I don't think I don't think Darwin Nunes' late show kind of will will you know will kind of cloud anything on that front. I think Klopp and his staff know only too well that they have to tighten up. You know, we're you know we're out of possession. They still look too vulnerable defensively at times. You know, the the space, especially down Trent's side, that, that teams are exploiting. Um, but I think it's 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 a lot easier to address those issues when you've got positivity and momentum after producing something like Liverpool did on Sunday than being enveloped in negativity, which was where Liverpool would have been heading, I think. You know, if you think the you know, talk about changing the narrative in the you know, to 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 suffer a first defeat of the season. You know, to lose your captain to a red card, the suspension, you know, all the noise about Salah's future that's that's still rumbling on, you know, unease about not doing enough in the transfer market. You know, it, it, you know, in the, the, the grand scheme of things, yes, there's still things that Liverpool need to address. But, um, you know, in the end, there were, it was a day when the positives did outweigh the negatives because of the the sheer resilience they showed to, to fight back. And I don't think, you know, that's why Klopp went so overboard with where it ranked for him. He said, you know, he said in a thousand games as a manager, I've never had anything quite like this. And, and, and I'm sure probably, probably when the dust has settled, you think, well, actually, yeah, there probably are a few that, that compare, but it's, it's, it's the fact that Liverpool were down to 10 men for over an hour, you know, that, you know, no, nobody would have given them a prayer to, to get anything out of that. Mm, I'm just looking at, 
you know, you mentioned it there, obviously, Virgil van Dijk getting sent off and whether it was right or not, I, I don't think that, that that's what I'm I'm interested in. I'm interested in, in, in the amount of abuse that the referee received. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, the game trying to work harder to, to crack down on abuse against officials, right? I mean, it, could this red card be something a bit more severe based on what we saw on the pitch, Nick? Possibly, yeah. I mean, personally, I'd rather see... Um, more punishment for that kind of thing than something like Trent got in his first booking for throwing the ball 10 yards um, or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, and it was, I don't know, you say not interested in whether it was a red card or not. Van Dyke must have known that he'd taken him out. Um, uh, the 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 play was clean through on goal. So it's the kind of, it's the scale of the abuse based on the... The correctness of the decision, if that kind of makes sense, you can understand why someone on the touchline, for example, who didn't have quite as clear a view of it, might might have been more angry. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's, it's interesting because you, you the, the point of these punishments is not to just make someone sit on the touchline for a couple of games so you know they can go and think about what they've done like a small child or something. It's in theory to stop it happening on the pitch and therefore improve the game. And you just kind of, I, I, I don't know whether things like that will necessarily act as a deterrent because players do do that all the time, you know, do stupid things that are already punished all the time anyway. For perfect example being Trent's, that, that, that second incident where he probably should have got uh, a yellow card. He, he knows logically that, that you shouldn't do that kind of thing at the best of times, never mind like five minutes after you've just been booked for the first time, but yet he still did it. And he, and even the the goal, he, um, uh, I think he, did he, he try to? He almost tried, kind of tried to pull player well, back. Yeah, the player. It? You could saw the the shirt tug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he he, he didn't do, and he was perhaps a, uh, slightly uh, slightly lucky that he didn't quite get a hold of him. So. I haven't really got a solution to this, but uh, while I, you would in theory like to see um, harsher punishments for dissent like Van Dyke showed, I'm I, I still slightly unconvinced whether it's actually going to help on the pitch, whether it is actually going to act as a deterrent. Tony Evans here, your host of the Athletics Dedicated Liverpool podcast. Walk on. They're ready to have a new captain, a new look midfield, and we're ready for the new season. Join me, along with our stable of Liverpool writers, including James Pearce. For me, this is succession planning. Simon Hughes. They need a lot to, to go their way in a short space of time to, to set the team up for a successful season, I'd say. And Kiva O'Neill. Feel ready now for the season. We're with you weekly each Wednesday on Apple, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. 
With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. That squad right now that Liverpool have, I don't think is good enough to challenge Manchester City. But they've got to go for it this week in terms of bringing it, maybe I think another defender in for me and a midfield player. That has to happen because Liverpool can still be the biggest rivals to, to Manchester City. Let's move on to, you know, transfers you know there's still a, a lot of teams across the Premier League <laughs> asking themselves who they can add uh, to their team if Saudi Arabia haven't already scoffed them uh, <laughs> across uh, to the Middle East but like you know James we, we, we've talked about you know the midfield at Liverpool we've talked about potential cover for someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold who seems to be finding this sort of two kind of two kind of footballer approach in each game. Transfer window closes 11pm UK time on Friday. Um, who do you see Liverpool trying to bring in? Is, is are there anyone Is there anyone on the lips of Jurgen Klopp at the moment or anything you know that could be happening? Well, there's two, two major areas that, you know, that people are talking about and quite rightly so because so are people at the club as well. And that is, you know, further reinforcements in midfield. Um, you know, I think... Wataro Endo was essentially the the kind of Fabino replacement, but Jordan Henderson hasn't been replaced since he went to Saudi. And I think from a, just purely from a numbers perspective, when you look at how many players Liverpool have lost from that midfield from last season, and and yes, you know for the first time on Sunday this season they fielded an entirely new midfield, but they've only brought in three, and then they've lost five or six. So um, so yeah, I think the, the the from what I've been told, they're still looking at like a multifunctional midfielder, someone who can play in a number of different positions. I think keeping a very close eye on what happens with Ryan Gravenberch at Bayern Munich, you know, he's been a, a long-term target now. Um, seems to be some kind of disagreement behind the scenes at Bayern, where I think Thomas Tuchel would be quite happy to say goodbye to him. Other people at Bayern want to keep him. So if, you know, if Bayern, all summer Bayern stance has been not for sale. If that changes in the last few days of the window, I think Liverpool... I think they they would certainly be part of that conversation. Um, so there's that, and then the centre half thing in terms of the the cover at centre half. I think that is a another you know area of concern that you know Liverpool have been been looking at various options. And but they, their position has been they effectively think they need a successor to Joel Matip, who's inside the last year of his contract. But it, it's always been their stance has been that if we can't get exactly who we want, we'll just wait. And 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 it, it's something they don't see as absolutely critical. So I'd, I'd still expect Liverpool to make one more, you know, new new acquisition this week. I think they they need it as well because um, yeah, seven points out of nine is a is a very very impressive start, but it doesn't quite tell the full story in terms of when you when you look at the the, the depth of the squad and also you know the. You know the um, some of the players that Klopp will be relying on have had serious issues with injuries already. Yeah, Nick, I'm just thinking from the perspective of an outsider. You, you know, you look, you remember Liverpool really being the only team in the last 
you know, a few years to really challenge City uh, to that top spot. Um, very different team, of course, now to to when they did win the Premier League. Um, how many more signings do you reckon they probably need to 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 be back where they were? Um, and I feel like even back where they were might be a different proposition to that sort of. I hate using this phrase because I think it's so cliche when talking about Liverpool heavy metal football. But I feel like it's heavy metal football. It's evolving to heavy metal football with a bit more structure to it. How many signings do you reckon um, it will take before we see this Liverpool squad really challenging for top spot again? I think it's it's possibly less. I mean, as James said, they clearly need um, someone else in midfield. They could. Uh, I, I I sort of half wondered throughout the summer why they didn't move for someone like Durian Timber, who would have been uh, a player who can play in the middle and he could play uh, right back. He could play along that um, defensive line. Obviously, that has that boat ship has sailed very much now. But I think it's less about the number of signings this season. I think it's more probably more about time, about as you know, again, as James mentioned, they've replaced they completely replaced their midfield o- o- over the summer. And it is just gonna take time for those players to get used to each other and to form as cohesive a unit as Fabinho and Henderson and kind of A and other did in previous seasons. So, you know, Slobberslai uh, and Alexis McAllister have started pretty well. Uh, Endo's obviously had only had sort of a game and a half. Um, so, and there are kind of promising signs there. But I think it is it, it, a. I don't think it, uh, any number of signings. I don't think Liverpool will necessarily challenge Man City this season. And b. I, I think even if they do make some a few really good signings, it will still take this season. You know, next season before they are anywhere near the kind of levels they were a few seasons ago when they were challenging. Um, they were really challenging City. Okay, James, I'm going to ask you a really unpopular question here um, because he is the star man. He's, you know, is an icon, the, the Egyptian king that is Mo Salah um, at, at Liverpool. In a hypothetical world, let's say Liverpool sell him to uh, you know, a Saudi Arabian club or wherever, whoever comes in with an insane bid for him and he does go, doesn't that allow Liverpool then to take this insane sum of money and just reinvest in this new identity of a Liverpool squad in a weird way. And I don't want to compare Liverpool to Tottenham, but Tottenham are emerging into a newer squad without the reliance on Harry Kane, for instance. I think that would be a fair enough conversation to be had if if we were sat here in June or early July and you had a, a summer to to plan and work out exactly how you're going to feel that immense void but but for me and I know this has been the, the club stance it, it's just too late in the window it's not about the sum of money on the table from Saudi and you know and you know Al Etihad have, have made it clear they were willing to pay 100 million pounds plus you know certainly there's been discussions with Salah's representatives about you know eye-watering personal terms and but but Liverpool, for Liverpool this isn't about the money I think you know next summer you know, if if Salah was to want to go and Liverpool could could plan ahead, then great. But like, if if you if, if Liverpool got a hundred million pound today, you know, who who would they be able to go and get? I don't I don't see how they could possibly fill that void because most Salah is not your normal thirty one year old. Usually, you think of a thirty one year old. Why is it? You know, he's he's gone over the the you know the the brow of the hill and he's going down the other side. That's not most Salah. You know, people talked about him having an average season. Last season, he got 30 goals and 16 assists in all competitions. Like, 
by far and away Liverpool's biggest attacking threat, even on Sunday at St. James's. Yes, Darwin Nunes grabs the headlines and rightly so. But like that pass from Salah to create the winning goal for Nunes, they haven't got anyone else in that squad who's capable of doing that. So, um, so no, I think for that reason, that is why they are 100% right to, to stick to their guns. And it, it would be absolute madness from my point of view if they even thought about it. You know, I don't care whether the Saudis come back with 120, 150. It should just be a straight no. You know, we can talk again, you know, maybe even in January, I think more likely next summer, but but not now. It would be it would be absolutely crazy and potentially derail the whole season. I tell you what, James, that was the greatest public service announcement I think I've ever heard. Stay away from our player, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Gents, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, James and Nick, especially on a bank holiday here in the UK as well. Now, remember, you can read more from these two on The Athletic and keep right up to date with all the summer's transfer window activity as well. You can sign up today for a special limited time offer for just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash football pod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.